How do you create the right sort of environment and relationships to help teenagers become more resilient? Today, I talk to therapist and parenting expert Alicia Drummond from Teen Tips on the skills and traits that teenagers need to develop to become resilient young people. Hi, I'm neuroscientist Dr. Ben Webb, sharing brain advice for a mentally healthy and happy midlife. Welcome to episode 88 of Better Brain, Better You. Before we talk to Alicia, I want to give you a free parenting video workshop to watch. Have you tried to connect with teenagers but found it difficult to resolve the problems and worries they struggle with every day? Whether it's too much screen time, disrupted sleep, risky behaviour or even mental health challenges. On the workshop, clinical psychologist Dr Zoe Webb and myself share the four essential strategies for parenting teenagers to solve common teenage problems, positively influence teenage behaviour and support a teenager's emotional well-being. You can watch the free workshop at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash workshop. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash workshop. Okay, let's dive right into this really important and practical conversation about building resilience in young people with Alicia Drummond from Teen Tips. Welcome to the podcast, Alicia. Thank you very much. Lovely to be with you. Fantastic. So trained as a, as a therapist, you're a parent, coach, speaker, author, and, and mum of two grown-up children, I think now, yeah. And yeah. so have you, have you always worked with teenagers and parents as a therapist? No, no, no. I started life in the events world. And um, so I worked in the world of, of parties and weddings and for years. And then one day I thought, actually, I, I don't think this is for me anymore. And I was looking around for something else that, and I thought actually when you do events, you spend a lot of time trying to in, interpret other people's needs and wants and wishes. And mm. it's a very much a people facing business anyway. Um, and then I experienced some therapy and it was transformational. And I thought, right, yep that's what I want to do and that's how it all started so I didn't actually qualify until 2009 that's when I finally got my got ah, okay okay so quite recent okay I didn't know that okay got a recent so so what is it about working with teenagers and their parents that you enjoy so much um well it was interesting because when I first qualified my kids were at a school and the deputy headmaster there was like oh Alicia you do that listening thing and I was like well that's five years training but yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he's like would you like to can you come and can you come and share some of those kind of communication and listening skills with our pupils so I started doing that uh, and it was terrifying but actually really rewarding and then I, I've always really loved that age group. I think adolescents are, are just fascinating. And mm. there's so much, they give so much, they're just brilliant. And actually, if you can if you can turn things around when, when they're not going according to plan at that age, actually you give them skills for life. So I, I think it, perhaps it's the, it's, it's harder work working as a therapist with teenagers because they don't always, you know, come to the table and it's, you have to work harder for sure, but it's just incredibly rewarding when you, you give them the skills and and they come back to you and say, I had one letter once with, from one of my clients who said, if it weren't for you, it's my 21st birthday today. And if it weren't for you, I know I wouldn't be here. And then you oh. think, that's oh. what it's 
about, isn't it? Absolutely. That's what it's about, isn't it? Wonderful. So, I mean, I've told you before that the work you're doing, so Teen Tips was a bit of an inspiration for us getting Ology going in the, in the early days. Not that we've been going that long, but a few years ago. So what was, what, what was your motivation to start Teen Tips? So when um, I started working in the schools, you know, if you work as a therapist with adolescents, you pretty quickly work out that actually if you could tweak some of the environments around them, i.e. Mm. a lot of them wouldn't necessarily need to be in therapy. So I did a lot of uh, work um, on parenting and set up a parenting teens workshop, which just was just went down quite well. And and then I asked, was asked to do staff training. So it just grew and grew on the, on the training side. And, um, uh, and then uh, it got to the point by 2018 where my, my car was like some mobile cafe bin and going around about 180 schools. And I just thought, actually, we need to, we need to move online. So we then created the staff and the parenting courses. So the staff ones just won an award um and it was all about how do we create the environments that that meet the social and emotional needs of young people um so we had those up and running online and then of course covid hit and we had about four and a half thousand people on webinars between march and may and everybody got the hang of the online world and it gave me a chance to do something that i'd been wanting to do for a long time which was to set up this well-being hub where as a parent or a member of staff or as a pupil you could have access just to huge banks of resources and q a's and and courses and other people's material you know because you can't be, i'm not the expert in in all fields by any stretch of the imagination and that's what that's what we've done so we're now running that in uh we launched a year and a bit ago um we're in over 140 schools and um and it's just it, it's been a really amazing really amazing journey really so you're supporting teenagers but doing that directly with them through schools, through parents and the schools and parents have access to a kind of, to a, to a wellbeing hub full of resources to, you know, to support them and their teenagers. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. So what do you, what's, what's the main, the objective of the work that you're actually doing with schools and what are the sort of needs you're finding with parents and, and, te- and teens and schools? Well, I think, you know, since, since the whole of the last couple of years of lockdowns and you know the mental health um issues being faced by young people have have just gone through the roof uh you know there's it, back in 2017 we had one in nine with a probable mental health disorder that's now mm-hmm. one in six um you've got a 56 percent increase in the number accessing or trying to access CAMS, child and adolescent mental health services. And, you know, there's just no way that they can cope with that. So two thirds probably don't get the the help they need at the time that they need it. So from my perspective, it was very much about, we can't rely on the system to pick up the pieces when things have gone wrong, because we just don't have the time, the resources, the people to be able to do it. We need to work upstream to prevent so many young people ending up with mental health uh, disorders and, and illnesses. So everything we do is about prevention and it's mm-hmm. about empowering young people to look after themselves better. It's about empowering staff and parents to be able to create those environments which nurture 
um, the emotional needs of young people so that so that they can be the best version of themselves, really. Why? This is a question that I think we've talked about before as well, but why, why do, do you think we have, or society has such a jaundiced view of teens in the modern world? It's mad, isn't it? Um, I suppose, you know, sometimes I think we're a bit lazy. It's easy just to think of it as a stereotype and to go along with it. Whereas, and so when I do workshops with parents, you know, I said, if, if nothing else, I want you to walk away from this four hours thanking your lucky stars you've got a teenager in your yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Amazing. They're just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so before we, before we start talking about building resilience, it's a kind of word that's banded around a lot at the moment for, for looking after teens, you know, or mental health generally, but let's zoom out a bit and think about, so what, why... Why would teens, why do teens need to build resilience in the first place? Well, our resilience is that ability to bounce. So uh, it's, you know, when you, when you take a knock, it's the thing that allows you to get back up and keep going. And um, I think we've, uh, teens have taken a lot of knocks. You know, they've really borne the brunt, I think, actually, of a lot of what's happened over the last couple of years in terms of the lockdowns, the isolation. They haven't been protected online, really, up until I know we've got the new the government online harms coming in. But I mean, they've had to ride out the wild west of social media and gaming and all that, all the porn. And there's so much going on. And then you, you know, you add in what's going on on a global scale right now. And we wonder why a lot of them aren't bouncing very well. Uh, so the idea of building resilience is giving them those skills that will allow them to cope with whatever life throws at them. Okay, you think it ties into their ultimate purpose then, which is, you know, independence, presumably? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to be independent if you don't believe that you can bounce, that you can get through life's difficulties. You know, why would you want to cut the apron strings if you're not don't feel confident that you're you're able to cope with whatever life throws at you? Yeah. And do you think the challenges and advantages for teens in the modern world make building resilience easier or or more challenging? Ooh, interesting question. I think probably a bit of both. You know, I think the fact that there's a lot that's going on in the modern world that makes life more difficult for them, you know, getting enough sleep uh, because of technology, not kind of doing that whole compare and despair on social media, all of that stuff. But then equally, we are much more able to talk about what helps people be resilient. We're much more... Uh, cognizant of, of positive psychology and all the things that we can do to help ourselves. And, um, you know, so I think it's there's the good and the bad of both, as with most things. Yeah. And how, I mean, you, you sort of alluded to it briefly earlier. So how do we, this is quite a big question, but how, how do we go about sort of creating home and school environments that promote resilience in young people? So I kind of think that resilience has four particular pillars to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are self-esteem, self-efficacy, self-awareness, and self-regulation. Self so if you if you go for the first one, so self-esteem self is that core belief that you have value, that you are worthy. And it's about being okay. Fundamentally, as a person, I am okay. 
you're okay we are all okay and when we sit in that position um of of believing that we have value then we tend to have a more um, benign kind internal dialogue so that little voice in your head is probably saying things like well you know what that didn't work out but don't worry we can have another go and most people like you not everybody that's normal and well you might as well have a go with it because what's the worst that could happen it's that kind of positive you're okay voice whereas when we have low self-esteem we tend to have a more punitive internal dialogue uh, so I think first and foremost, our self-esteem is really, really important. And and if and self-esteem uh, goes across so many things because people who have low self-esteem as teenagers tend to experiment uh, to more, you know, they're more likely to, to take risky decisions. So around things like drugs and alcohol and um, uh, all the other things that you get to make decisions about as, as a teenager. So self-esteem is is properly important, uh, and we know that those who have self healthy self-esteem tend to have better relationships. They don't allow other people to treat them badly. They think they're worth it. Therefore, they invest in themselves. Uh, and 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 uh, the second one is is self-efficacy. So self-efficacy is your belief in your ability to set and achieve tasks and goals. So if mm-hmm. if the first one, if self-esteem is about being okay self-efficacy is more about doing and um so on that level from a kind of school and parental perspective it's about helping them to feel competent uh which can be lots of different ways you know from making sure that they can you know plan shop and cook for a meal it can be even with tiny tiny people getting them to put their own clothes in the washing bin or tidy up the toys uh, it could be changing a light bulb, setting up a bank account, crossing a road, using public transport. All of those things add to our sense of competence. And when we feel competent, we feel confident. So that's really, really important. And then uh, self-awareness and self-management is really our emotional intelligence. So it's your ability to use your emotions to inform your thinking and your thinking to manage your emotions. And uh, and under that comes a lot of, of uh, the sort of well-being practices. So, for example, if you understand that for you, writing a diary is a really effective way of manage, you know, helping you make sense of your experience, then you know that actually that's something that you'd like to do more of. So, it's about what works for you. Um, but it's it works kind of both way rounds as well. So it's understanding perhaps things like you know where your they're called thinking traps. Well, you'll know all of this then. Thinking traps, negative automatic thoughts, understanding your where you fall into those little pitfalls that that actually make make us more anxious and worried about things, and and being able to do something about it. So for example, if I know that. I tend to be somebody who likes to uh, read a crystal ball thinking, you know, well, I'm never going to be able to do that. It's all a disaster. And, oh, you mustn't, I mustn't go in and say that because I'll fail or whatever it is that, that predicting actually being able to then go, okay, just stop a minute. Let's, let's look at the reality checking here. So I think if we can help them to develop those four pillars, 
actually we give them an amazing foundation really and and probably the skills to be able to bounce and i guess we also have to throw in there things like you know encouraging positivity because we know that positivity when we feel positive it's easier to get up if you believe that there's something if you've got optimism if you believe you can move forward mm. is that does that answer the question that absolutely answers the question in a very good very complete answer I was just thinking because I I get asked this a lot and I so they I mean those the pillars sound you know it's completely well-rounded kind of explanation and understanding of of how to build resilience. I'm just thinking if we take one of those let's say whichever you prefer to say self-esteem the sort of specific work that you might do to help and support someone with that because it's sometimes these things are much easier right said than than done in practice. I suppose, okay, if we're talking on a parental level, what can you do as a parent to help your child develop healthy self-esteem? Um, I think very much giving them the message that you love them for who they are, not what they do. Mm. So, you know, saying to them, there is nothing that you could do good or bad that would ever make me love you more or less. You as you is enough. Yeah. So we focus on being rather than doing because i think for a long time we've we've kind of been in danger of raising these little human doings who believe that they're only okay when they are hitting our expectation of grades and performance and all the rest of it so i think um switching that messaging around is is definitely a, a part of it sometimes it's about uh challenging so you know, when I hear you talking about yourself like that, I feel sad because I think that if I was feeling like that about myself, it would make it more difficult for me to believe blah, 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 whatever it is. So giving that gentle challenging of, of what, of the messaging that they're giving themselves. Um, and then I suppose it's also, you know, they all feed into each other, don't they? If you, if we can build their self-confidence that built and the competence feeds into self-esteem, mm. but also helping them to develop that kind of intrinsic motivation that, that you do something because it feels good. I think that feeds into our sense of self-esteem as well. So there's lots of things that we can do, but I think when we first started looking at it, in the world of psychology, I think the, the the advice was, oh, you know, let's get rid of winning at sports days, and we won't number sets in schools, and uh, you know, we'll all of those things which kind of level the playing field. And of course, it didn't make any difference whatsoever. And we'll praise them for absolutely everything, and it really didn't make any difference because we were praising them in the wrong way. Uh, and uh, you know, even a child who's 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 not wildly intelligent can generally work out when they're in the bottom set pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking the kind of world, the world of mental health and, you know, and psychology and so on has kind of changed dramatically in the last sort of 10, 15 years. You mentioned that head teacher right at the start who, you know, you do this listening thing. I was just, when you were talking then, just thinking about how are teachers, parents, receptive to to your you know you receive are they receptive to the support and advice you're offering well i think often i mean i'm a really practical person yeah so, you know and i believe that if people understand the theory you don't need to ram loads of theory down people's throats 
but if they understand the basics of the theory and then if you can if you can help them to to have a couple of easy wins early doors mm. it builds their confidence and then they feel the result of having done something perhaps slightly differently and if you start to feel the result and it feels good why wouldn't you do it again so I think, I mean, I've interestingly just done the talk for a school last week called Resilient Parents, Resilient Children, because, you know, it's, it's tough being a parent. Mm. It's really tough. And, and we need to be modeling it for them. But, you know, but we also need to be able to, to do what's right for them and to be able to resist peer pressure and all those other things, which if you're not feeling very resilient can be really difficult. It's true. I was going to, I was going to come on to modeling in a minute actually, but so what do you think? So how important, or what's the importance of failure? Do you think in in building resilience in young people? Does it have a role to play? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm learning about you, but I've learned a lot more from the things I got wrong than I have. One hundred percent. Yeah, you do. Do you know? So we mustn't give them this fear of failure. But I think. We, you're more likely to develop a fear of failure if the focus from from the your significant adults, parents and teachers and everything is on the end result. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if the end result is, for example, I don't know, getting three A stars at A level, that's a big fail if you don't get it. If the if the focus is on, well, actually all you really need to do is move yourself a bit further forward than you were yesterday, you're never going to fail on a big scale. So you don't need to fear it. So it's where we pay our attention, I think, affects ultimately whether or not they develop a fear of failure. I mean, that was sort of part of, part of my motivation for the previous question, just thinking when you're working with schools, you know, how receptive they are to that sort of messaging, you know, because it's because particularly you work in the independent sector, don't you, quite a lot. So, you know, very important for building resilience. We know that, like, you know, I'm just wondering, like, you know, how that messaging and how well that's received and the support you get in schools with that approach. Oh, yeah. No, I think schools are really on it, you know. Okay. I mean, they, they, there's quite a few schools that we work on with uh, where they call it Failure Friday. They call it something else in the staff room, which I... Also <laughs> yeah. begins with an F, but I won't. Yeah. I think I can <laughs> guess. I think you can guess. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, they get it, you know, and there's been a huge amount of work with people like Carol Dweck and Growth Mindset. and. Okay. That is much more part of of the of the kind of ethos of schools. Having said that, we have to be mindful that they are also trying to meet the expectations of parents and governors. Mm -hmm. So, as a parent, we pay a really big part because we we do have influence over what happens at school. And if all we appear to care about is the results, then we're feeding in. We're feeding into a system which ultimately is not doing our our kids any good. Mm. And something so that's incredibly important in the early years for for children, and you know, still important during the teenage years. But I'm thinking specifically around resilience. Resilience is kind of the role of boundary setting. So could you just comment a bit on that what role that sort of plays in building resilience during adolescence? Yeah, I mean, um, I never believe you have to have loads of boundaries because, you know, if you're anything like me, you'd be scrabbling around on the fridge door trying to find the last one that you tried to set. But I think, you know, it's really important. We all need boundaries, you know, it, yeah. we all need boundaries. And actually it makes us feel safer. So, 
I was thinking it's a little bit like going to a uh, you know going to a party and they've got a weird shaped dance floor. If you you can't kind of let rip if you don't know when you're going to fall off the edge of it. So having the boundaries in place is, it makes people feel safer, yeah. uh, particularly young people. Um, and I think boundaries. I mean, boundaries come in lots of different ways, don't they? So you've got interpersonal boundaries, you've got behavioural boundaries, you've got all kinds of different boundaries. So as a parent, if your boundaries are like marshmallow particularly once they hit adolescence and their job is to push the boundaries actually you're not giving them a very safe environment to play in if your but your boundaries need to be considered so and age appropriate so you know what you would set for a 12 year old is different needs to be reassessed at 15 and probably 17 and, and then again at 19 so they need to be realistic you need you need to be both on board with them. That doesn't mean say you have to agree, but you do have to be on board. And um, you know, I'm I'm recognizing that they are programmed to test and push the boundaries. That doesn't mean that you're wrong in setting them. You know, and so the one the one boundary which I think is super important is the one around screens and beds, mm-hmm. because. If you look at the statistics, the rates of mental ill health shoot up around about 15, which is often when parents start to be, become more relaxed about things like phone time. And, um, you know, because, and we know that lack of sleep is, is absolutely, there is not one single mental health disorder in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, as you will know, that does not list poor or disrupted sleep as one of its symptoms. Yeah. So we are going to have one boundary and only one boundary make it that one. Absolutely. I think that's one because it impacts on every other aspect of well being and mental health, doesn't it? It's you know, this sort of cascade effect. One hundred percent. So another really important aspect of building resilience parenting generally is just got is modeling you know so what we do rather than what we what we say i just wonder if you could comment a bit on that as well in terms of building resilience absolutely i mean about 70 percent of our behavioral learning is done by modeling so and you're their primary role models whatever age they are you know if they're little ones then you're you're the kind of the sun the moon and the stars and if you've got teenagers and well they're looking at you to see how to do adult male or how to do adult female and what you do is a far bigger influencer than what you say so you know if you're sitting there saying oh well you know you mustn't drink this and you know alcohol's this and then you're out getting slammed on a saturday night it's the you getting sand on a Saturday night that they're going to take the message from. So it's massively important. If they never see you taking a risk, why would they think it's okay to take a risk? Mm. If they see you beating yourself up when you make a mistake, why wouldn't they think that that's the right way to treat yourself once you've done it? So our modeling is, is unbelievably important. How's that change across the years from the early years to through to teenage years in terms of the way it influences behavior? Well, as I say, I think, you know, if you just hold in mind what you do is being watched by little eyes all the way through. And, uh, you know, the younger ones is the very obvious. Yeah. And it might not feel quite so obvious by the time they hit adolescence, but they are watching you like hawks. So it's slightly, it's slightly alarming as a parent. But I think it's that thing that a lot of, certainly with the parents we work with, they don't, 
often noticed that teens are watching very very closely what they're doing but they're just not making it obvious that they're watching like you know so they think well it's all right i don't know to be as responsible as i was or whatever like you know so they start behaving slightly differently and then yeah the consequences show up okay well thank you so much alicia that really is you know wonderful and amazing like uh, particularly the kind of the cycle the, the pillars of resilience will be really really helpful and people for useful for people to to build off that so where can we find out more about teen tips and the work that you're doing with schools parents and teens well really simple it's just go to the website which is www.teen as in teenagers tips as in t-i-p-s .co.uk and we really go from kind of age two up to 18 now so it's the worst yeah. name company ever but the well-being hub says it a bit better but it's all uh, so not just teen tips child child tips children tips yeah okay oh, okay didn't realize that okay amazing well thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast Alicia. it really has been an absolute pleasure no it's been a real honor thank you so much for having me Thanks so much to Alicia for some really important insights for parents, teachers and teens on building resilience in young people. I hope today's episode with Alicia Drummond was helpful and I look forward to seeing you next time.